0: Spencer Brand and I met 28 years ago by my calculation. Spencer and Barbara, Barbara's sitting in the the very back, and uh, Spencer and Barbara, um, there there are some people in life you meet, and you just want to build three booths, and you never want to leave. It's good for us to be here, and uh, Cindy and I have been admirers of Spencer and Barbara all these years. Um, Barbara, and Spencer may tell a little bit about this, was struck with MS many, many years ago. And um, her journey is one that's uh, worth a book, um, how she shares Christ, much like our dear friend Bill Howard last week, who's, I see him here, bust his chops. Uh, But these are men and women that share Christ on the backstroke, and I like being around men and women who share Christ on the backstroke. I like learning from them and hearing from them and seeing their confidence and passion and excitement about sharing Christ with people that need to know the Savior. And Barbara's story just goes on and on and on. One quick antidote. We were living in Virginia, and they were having work on their house, and they were cutting down a tree in front of Barbara and Spencer's house, and the tree hit the house and moved it off the foundation. Almost killed one of their children. And the poor man who was cutting down the tree is, of course, devastated. He's got you know, his head in his hands on the curb crying. He's going to be fired. He's going to lose his job. He's going to be sued. Barbara goes out there and leads the guy to Christ. He goes home and leads his family to Christ. And that's just one of 150 stories like that, that I just, I don't like people like that. They put me to shame. No, they give me courage and they remind me that opportunities is right in front of us to share Christ with those around us. Spencer has been involved with international Christian ministry for almost 50 years. Um, he was the founder in 1984 and serves as the president of the endowment community leadership. And even reading that reminds me he lives in DC. So give him some slack. Prior to uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, which here involved with many years, he graduated from the University of Minnesota with a master's degree in public affairs. He held senior positions in the office of the Secretary of the United States Department of Labor and the Department of Interior. He's also met with um, that verse, the Proverbs, that talks about you know, you'll, t- uh, you'll meet with kings and princes. Um, he's talked to world leaders in Estonia, chief justices here in the United States, uh, Supreme Court justices, heads of state. And he's this guy you don't see coming. And it's not about names and dropping names and whatnot. He's a man that God's used and placed in a unique, unique niche. I've never known anyone quite like him who lives out the Christian life. We trade a lot of literature together. He's sent me many books over the years that I have enjoyed. Um, One a few years ago that I have not finished reading is uh, the book that changed your world by Vizual Mangwaldi, and that book is an Indian Christian writing to the country saying, we exist because of this book called the Bible, and he gave it to all the members of parliament, and I would not have ever known about that book, but Spencer sent me information. We trade Dr. Barnhouse quotes back and forth. He's a thinker. I hate the phrase salt leader, but He's a thought leader. Um, Spencer, come on up and open the word. It's a, it's a privilege to call you a brother and friend, and I can't believe you came to do this, and would you give him a, a nice Stonebridge welcome? Well, thank you. Thank you, brother.
1: Well, thank you, Michael. What a blessing. Um, I suppose I could start by saying I'm uh, from Washington, DC, and I'm here to help you. <laughs> Uh, but these days, I guess I shouldn't. You know, if you'd put up on the screen the, uh, uh, the uh, chorus that we sang, you know, when you look at that, sometimes we sing these uh, choruses and hymns so quickly, but look at that, how great the pain of searing loss, the father turns his face away. The one whom the Lord, if I can put it this way, loved the most, he turned his face away from, And yet today, as Mo, who I don't know, and you are going through a searing loss, he does not turn his face away. In fact, he indwells you. He comforts Mo right now. He is meeting him in ways that we cannot comprehend unless you've also gone through that same kind of abrupt searing loss. But what a remarkable Lord that while he would turn his face away from his own son, he indeed sets his face on us. Isn't that amazing? And you know, it's often been said when people get up to speak that after we sing these and after the service for the children, there's really no point to have a sermon. (laughs) And one day I will have the courage to actually just sit down and say, what else do we need to say this morning? But when Michael was speaking, he reminded me of a man that had been very close to Barbara and me for years. He's since died, a fellow named Joe Foss. Joe was a Medal of Honor recipient from World War II, former governor of South Dakota, just an extraordinary individual, shot down 26 planes over Guadalcanal. But at his 80th birthday, a 92-year-old friend of Joe got up to speak. And when he said these words, I thought, uh, this morning as I was watching Michael, they are so true for him. He said, when you're with Joe Foss, you stand taller, your back is straighter, and you're closer to your maker. And he sat down. I don't know of a better description of your pastor here either. You're, you're quite blessed. Years ago, some years ago, my daughter, who is uh, now married and has a couple of children, wrote a letter to the Easter Bunny at the time of Easter. And, of course, his children do a great picture of the Easter Bunny with a cross kind of in the little balloon up here, and of, and wanting the Easter Bunny to be sure that he knew who she was. She wrote twice her name, Adrian Brand, to you from Adrian Marlena Brand. And this is what she wrote. She wrote, Easter Bunny. Easter would just be about the Lord, and I like that. Now, isn't that sweet? And isn't that really what it should be? Easter would be just about the Lord, and I like that. But as I reread her letter again, she writes... Dear Easter Bunny, Easter would be just about the Lord, and I like that, but you make it so much more exciting. <laughs> I love you. Isn't that great? But you make it so much more exciting. We know, and you know here because you your excellent teaching, that this Word of God is literally the Lord speaking to us through the power of His Holy Spirit. The One who created everything we know speaks to us through His Word. But frankly, at times, novels, movies, Netflix are more exciting. They just are, aren't they? As the Easter bunny was for this young child, more exciting than the resur- crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord. And so today what I would like to do is take some time in Psalm 139 and kind of look at a different perspective of why we should be reading the Scriptures. Of course, the Scriptures reveal to us who the Lord is and who we are but from a little bit different perspective. In Ephesians 2.10, we know in Ephesians 2.8 and 9, we are told that we are saved by grace through faith. But in Ephesians 2.10, we often skip this verse. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared for each one of us here good works that he has created beforehand that we are to walk in them. Right now, you're in the midst of a good work. And if I can say it with a sense of humility, so is Mo. Whatever your situation is today, whatever you're experiencing, you are in the midst of a good work that God has prepared beforehand. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good. Remember, this is the Lord speaking to us. The challenge for us is not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by what the word of God, what the Lord is explaining to us about how he is working in our midst. And it's a challenge for us because it's so different. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We were in a small church in northern Minnesota some years ago, and the young pastor was trying to illustrate how God works together all things for the good. And he said, okay, if I gave you a cup of flour and said, eat it, well, it would be disgusting. If I gave you a raw egg, maybe some of you eat them. If I gave you a raw egg, it also would be disgusting. Or if I gave you some baking soda. But if I mix them all together and put them in the oven, out comes a beautiful cake. And right when he said that, one of the young boys in the congregation who had just celebrated his birthday yelled out, yes, and it was such a delicious cake. (laughs) But you see, that's what God is really doing. He is creating and preparing for us things that we don't quite understand as he's conforming us not only to his image, but uh, causing things to happen that are beyond our understanding. The challenge for us is how do we then navigate the joys of life, the storms of life? How do we deal when these searing pains can come in without any warning? Well, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, a positive and a negative, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. God has prepared beforehand good works that we should walk in them, we know He's working everything together for the good that we experience in life, even if we cannot see it, understand it, and, and believe it even. He still is. How do we then handle the stuff of life through His Word? The Word makes me adequate and equipped for every experience I will have in life. And that's one reason why I want to read this often. Lord, what do you say about relationships? What do you say about marriage? What do you say about finances? All the the issues of life, what do you say about death? What do you say about cancer that creeps up without warning? Um, And and as a result, uh, it it will motivate us to say, Lord, instead of going to the world's view of how to handle my problems first, let me look to you first. And then I can seek other advice and counsel to see if it fits along with what you're teaching, but we want to become familiar with the Word of God. Now, I have a struggle memorizing, so what I need to do sometimes is put all these tabs in here even to find where the books are, but the Bible I brought with me today was one, uh, I like it because the print is bigger, Uh, I started with in 1973, so it's been around for a while, and I love reading, going back and reading the things that I had written in the margins as I was going through different things of life. In Acts 27:26, Paul tells the story of where the ship is going to be shipwrecked as he set for Rome. And he gathers all the sailors together in a terrible storm, and Paul says to the sailors, "Keep up your courage, men, for I believe God will, this will turn out exactly as I have been told, that we must run aground. Therefore I encourage you, having said this, he took bread and gave thanks. The first thing he told to the soldiers is that we uh, as sailors is that we must run aground. In your life and in my life, we will run aground." in a hundred different ways until we meet the Lord face to face. Uh, As he expressed to them the truth that they would run aground, what was the first thing he did? He gave thanks. In the midst of that circumstance, because God was working all things together for the good. They struck a reef when the two seas met and the ship ran aground. And the prow struck firmly. The stern started to break up. Those who could swim jumped overboard first and got to land. The rest were to follow, some on planks, others on various things from the ship. And so it happened. Some swam to shore, some grabbed on pieces of the ship they couldn't swim, some grabbed on flotsam and jetsam to just be able to get to shore. Now think of our lives here, how different they are. Some people seem to go through a very smooth life. Some people have multiple struggles of various kinds. We all lead different lives, and only you know what you're going through. And yet what happened? They all were brought safely to land. Uh, It's a struggle for each of us, but all of us will make it to shore if the Lord of the universe indwells us. If you know him as your Lord and Savior, you will make it to shore. And as we pray for Mo, and as you do as a dear brother of your fellowship, he will also make it safely to shore, even though right now he's in that sea hanging on to bits and pieces of a ship. And that's why, as we look at good works that God has prepared beforehand, he's working together all things for good, Scripture enables us to understand how to adequately handle the issues of life, we want to be reminded that we'll all be, one day, taken safely to shore. And when you're going through difficult circumstances, I love the words of C.S. Lewis when he writes, Remember, you are the painting, and the painting cannot see itself. Isn't that interesting? The painting can never see itself. I might feel a brush stroke here and I don't like it. I might feel something here, but I cannot see what's being fashioned. And that's why, again, in the midst of that, we want to give thanks. So I'd like to take just a moment and have you bow your heads if you would. If there's a struggle that you're going through with your life now or something in the past where you've not been able to say, Lord, Not for everything, but in everything, I want to give thanks to you, for this is your will for me in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.1. Not for everything, but in everything. I want to give you a moment to just say, Lord, there's this issue that I want to, by faith, thank you for. Because I want to trust that you are, I am the painting, you are the artist, and I cannot see what you are fashioning, but I want to trust you. Now, if there's something that's terribly difficult for you to be able to give thanks for then may i suggest that you simply say lord i'm here this morning i know by faith one day you will give me the strength to thank you for it but i can't today so lord just surround me with your love encourage me open my heart and my mind to understand how much you truly love me amen The principal of a small middle school was facing a difficulty because some of the younger girls were now, for the first time, using lipstick. And so they would go into the girls' room, put the lipstick on, and then kiss the mirror. And, of course, that lipstick is difficult to get off the mirror, but they thought it was pretty cool. So he sent out, had the teachers in the homerooms, kind of at this middle school, explain not to do that and why, but they kept on doing it. So one day, as he walked around the school, he gathered those girls that were wearing lipstick and brought them into the girls' room. And he said, you know, I've asked you before not to kiss the mirror because it takes so long for the sextant to clean it off the mirror. Um, And he said, I want to show you how difficult it is. So as the girls were in the restroom, there were some lipstick marks on the mirror. The janitor came in with a a pail and a a large brush, and he set it down and he took the large brush and he went over to the closest toilet and dipped it in the toilet and then went back to the mirror (laughs) to clean the (laughs) lipstick off the mirror. Now, now, needless to say, I love the creativity of some people, but needless to say, the the girls didn't kiss the mirror anymore after that because they believed it was true. C.S. Lewis also says, There are three images in my mind that I must continually forsake and replace by better ones. The false image of God, the false image of my neighbors, and the false image of myself. Today we're going to look just briefly in Psalm 139 about the Im- of who is God. Who a- Jesus said, who do you say I am, and who am I? You'll have to deal with your neighbors yourself. We won't have time for that this morning. We have to remember we don't define God or ourselves by our own experience. The scriptures are the only way that we understand who God is, as the Holy Spirit illumines our mind to understand them, and the Scriptures are only the true source to help us understand who we are. So we constantly have to replace the images that we've grown up with about God and about ourselves, depending on our background, and replace them with what, what the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life we sang this morning. You know, Winston Churchill said men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and keep right on going. Jesus said this most profound statement, because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Now as we read some of God's truth this morning, the challenge will be, do I believe it? Do I really believe the truth of what the Lord is about to say to me? Or will I stumble over it and then keep right on going, saying it's not me, That's not you don't understand, and so on. So let's look at Psalm 139, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray as we open your words, that our hearts would truly hear, understand, and be overwhelmed by what you tell us about who you are, and who I am, and who we are. And we ask this, Lord, in your name. Psalm 139, and again, almost not needing to repeat it after the wonderful children's service, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me, You know when I lie down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and art intimately acquainted with all my ways. God knows every single detail about my life. All of my failures, all of my sins, all of my joys, all of the things that make me smile, make me laugh. Everything. And He loves me and accepts me. I don't want my wife to know, as most men, how weak I really am on the inside, for fear she'll no longer respect me, how I'm fearful of different things. My wife may be hesitant to let me know everything that's going on in her life, wondering if I will really love her, if I really knew all the things that were going on in her life. But the Lord here tells us that He knows everything, everything about us. Lord, everything, yes Spencer, and yet you see me as righteous and holy in your sight because of your death on the cross and your resurrection and how you came to draw me to you through the power of your Holy Spirit. And as kind of a part of that, over the course of years, particularly in Washington and well, in Nashville too, the struggle for most men, a man's faithfulness is most often tested um, when he becomes a success. A man's faithfulness is most often tested when he becomes a success, and that's why you see so many successful people in all sorts of walks of life fall into all sorts of sins and problems. We become full of ourselves. We don't think some of this applies to us, whatever it might be. A woman's faithfulness is often tested in, I'm talking about a marriage relationship now, when her husband is failing. Does she come alongside and encourage him, build him up even as he fails, even as he stumbles, even as he falls? Or is she much like Job's wife that turns against him because of the disappointment that's set in? Because this wasn't accomplished, he didn't do this. Here we come to the Lord who desires to help us understand he knows everything about us, and yet we don't have to run and hide from him. Adam and Eve ran and hid from the Lord. When you're a child and you did something wrong, you didn't go to your parents and admit it. You ran and hid. You tried to hide the sin, tried to cover the sin. And the Lord's saying, don't do that. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest, I already know it. But you need to come to me. Even before there's a word on my tongue, oh my goodness, how many times have I said things that as the words go out, I'm trying to grab them back? The hurtful words, the unkind words. The number of times I'd have to apologize, ask forgiveness. And yet the Lord loves me knowing all of the things that I have said, even before I said them. And what a picture that is, again, of unconditional love. Because God said, is saying to us, I know what you're about to say, and it's cruel, it's unkind, you shouldn't say it, but I'm going to allow you to say it for many reasons. But one of them is to show you that I love you in spite of what you say. I'm not going to stop you, because that's kind of making you be good. Instead, I want to show you my love for you, even when you are saying things toward me, the Lord. Behold, O Lord, thou knowest all. You have enclosed me behind and before in thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't attain to it. I cannot comprehend it. You cannot comprehend this at all. I love seeing the children here wondering what was going through the mind of each one as I was sitting looking from the back, some raising their hands, some giving the answers, others talking to the one next to them. You know, what were they talking about? You know, all of these things. Uh, And yet the Lord knows every single thing that's going on in their minds as well as ours. It's too high. I cannot comprehend that. And yet that's who he says he is to us. Where can I go from your spirit? Can I run and hide from him? Where can I flee from thy presence? If I send to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Shehold, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea. Think of these pictures of where can I go? It's impossible for me to go anywhere. Even the hand will lead me. The right hand will lay hold of me. And if I say... Surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to thee. In the darkest moments of our lives, some people refer to it as the midnight hour of the soul. He is there. He is present. He indwells you. He wants you to know that love which is so high I cannot comprehend it. And yet it's so true. Lord, I'm choosing to believe the truth of your words. I just sang this morning that you are the way and the truth. Instead of those voices I hear in my my ears, you're no good, you're a failure, you call yourself a Christian and you did that. All of these voices, the accusations that are placed upon us on a daily basis, and yet the Lord's saying, no, this is how I see you. Years ago when Barbara and I were more reckless, we were driving from Washington to Minnesota, no children, driving straight through. So I would drive for a while and she would drive, and it's freeway all the way. So in those days, I had glasses on, and the only ones I had were sunglasses, prescription sunglasses. And um, my other ones had broken, and it was night, it was Barbara's turn to drive. So I get in the back seat of the car, she's driving. The next thing I know, she's wake, she wakes me up, she's really scared. There's a car, or a pickup truck, that's following her very closely on this gravel road, and we're surrounded by cornfields. Now, now how you get off, to I-70 onto a gravel road surrounded by cornfields with a pickup truck following in. So I sit up. Of course, I'm sleeping. I put my glasses on. Well, there's sunglasses. I can't see. You know, everything is just foggy. Well, we eventually made our way back. She had turned off for a gas station for whatever reason, kept on going out in the middle of this farmer's cornfield. And I thought of that at that time, but Lord, you saw all of this. The darkness is nothing to you. Your light shines through the darkness in ways that we can't even comprehend even the darkness is not dark to thee and the night is as bright as the day verse 13 for thou dost form my inward parts thou dost weave me in my mother's womb I will give thanks to thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made some years ago Jennifer Aniston when she was married to Brad Pitt uh, was considered one of the most beautiful women of the world, and of course, she's married to one of the most handsome men of the world, man of the world, with all of the money, all of the fame that anyone would ever want. And she was being interviewed by uh, Diane Sawyer on a television program, and she, Diane was asking her a little bit about her background, and Jennifer began to explain that her mother had been a relatively successful Hollywood actress, very, very beautiful. And as she was telling that story, she began to tear up, and the tears started coming down her cheeks. And Diane Sawyer paused and said, Jennifer, uh, what's upsetting you? And Jennifer now, hardly able to control herself, said, ever since I was a young girl, my mother told me my eyes are too close together. Now, if the most beautiful woman or one of the most beautiful women in the world, married to one of the most handsome men in the world that has all the money, still struggles with who am I, how much do we struggle in this room? Are you able to look in the mirror and say, Lord, you formed my inward parts. You fashioned me in my mother's womb. Lord, thank you for me. Thank you for the way you created me. Thank you for my eyes, my ears, my hair, or what's left of it. Lord, because you fashioned and created me. Lord, don't let me hear the world shame me for whatever reason that you are self-conscious about even as you sit here today. Because Lord, you, you, you created me. How can there be anything more magnificent than a creation by the one who created the universe? I'll give thanks to thee. You see this pattern through the Scripture? Lord, as I look into that mirror, it's not what I would want, but I'm thanking you by faith because this is how you created me. You see, that act of giving thanks, it will transform your life. And if you can't yet, ask him to give you the strength to do it because it will be a roadblock in your spiritual spiritual maturity if you can't. Wonderful are thy works. You think you are wonderful? He just tells you you are in me. And my soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from Thee when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Oh Lord, let me see me and see my brother sitting next to me or my sister sitting next to me or the stranger that I run into tomorrow the way You see them, not the way I see them or see myself. And in the book they were written, the days that were ordained for me, when as when as yet there was not one of them. I, you know, of course had no idea, nor did you, that you would be living the truth of that today as Michael prayed for Mo uh, and his wife. The Lord knew that yesterday he was taking her home. None of us had any idea, and certainly her husband didn't. He knows every day that we will live Do I need to fear for the future? Do I need to fear for what might happen? Of course not, because he has already ordained for me the number of days that I will live so I can say, Lord, if it's three days, if it's one day, if it's 50 more more years, then, Lord, I want to rest in your truth. Now, focus my mind on those things that are productive. You know, I used to talk about how I have three friends, and you addressed it this morning to the kids in a wonderful way. I have three very close friends I've known for Almost my whole life. And sometimes we're with each other often, sometimes every once in a while, but we have always been together. And my fear f- three friends are fear, worry, and anxiety. And they come visit me in the middle of the night, they come visit me at 10 in the morning, they just show up without any kind of invitation. So when it comes to fear, I want to embrace that fear. Well, welcome fear. You showed up again. What is it I'm supposed to be afraid of today? Because what casts out fear? Perfect love. I don't need to run from it. Embrace it. Fear, you can't have a hold on my life. Oh, you'll capture my mind for a moment. You'll make me worry, and then I'll do all these foolish speculations that often happen when we are fearful about something. And yet, perfect love, the Scripture tells us, will cast out fear. So, Lord, thank you that you allowed fear to come Visit me tonight at 2 o'clock in the morning. We have a couple of kids that have really wandered away from the Lord. And I don't know that I've slept an entire night for, I don't know how many years, 20 years now. Because I'll wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning praying for their safety. They're always with me. But Lord, I don't need to fear that because I can entrust them to you. You love them more than I do. So Lord, let me pray for them, let me pray for others, and then give me rest again. But I don't have to run from the fear, hide from the fear, I can embrace it. And particularly when it comes to as you're facing the concept of death, which will come to all of us. Because he has already ordained the days. We don't need to speculate or worry about that. And in fact, going back to giving thanks, let me share a warning uh, with all of us. You know, we, we know in Romans 1 kind of where our world has gone. The sinfulness that has captured America in such an extraordinary way, that in such a fast a period of time and in in such an unexpected fashion. And the warning for us is in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Uh, Again, so much of the Christian life is so difficult to live. It, It can only be lived through the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's also so simple. There's a few fundamental principles if we can remind ourselves, encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called a day, lest any one of you become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In Romans 1.21, it says, For even though they knew God, we do, I trust, they did not honor Him or what? Give thanks. They did not honor Him or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. How many times in life do we speculate about futile things? Well, what happens if we do the? And I'm not talking about planning now. But what happens if we do this, or what, uh, how are we going to handle that, or all of these things that we speculate about? I wake up at two o'clock in the morning, speculating that my daughter who lives, lives in Los Angeles might be, you know, attacked or something like that. Those are foolish speculations. I need to take them captive. Remember, how I'm to take all all these strange thoughts captive. How do I do that? Well, Lord, first of all, I want to thank you that you allowed fear to come into my life tonight. Lord, I want to thank you that my daughter, even though I cannot understand it, is choosing right now to walk away from you. I'm not thanking him for that. I'm thanking him in the midst of that. Lord, I thank you that you love her more than I do and are working things in her life that I can't see. So Lord, thank you. They became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. You see why these verses encourage one another day after day as it's so called today, lest any one of you become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? What about the deceitfulness of this? Spencer, I could never give thanks in the midst of that. You don't understand what I've gone through and how terrible that experience was in my life. And I don't. And if you've gone through something terrible like that, I cannot understand what it is. But what I know is the one who loves you the most, the one who designed you and knew you before you were even conceived is saying, but trust me, even in that, give thanks by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And without faith, we cannot grow into spiritual maturity. And one of the foundational elements of faith is giving thanks when we don't want to, when it doesn't seem to make sense, Now again, we're not thankful for what happened, but thankful in the experience that we're in. Verse 15, 16, 17, How precious also are thy thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Years ago, as a young Christian, I was flying into Minneapolis at night, I was about a year old in the Lord, to be with my family for Christmas. And as that plane came over Minneapolis and as I looked out at the city, it was just ablaze with lights, all the homes and so on, and of course the snow, it was gorgeous. And I was deeply troubled by that sight, because I thought to myself, how can there possibly be a God who knows all these people individually, um, and much less the world? And that really troubled me. So I got out of the plane, got my luggage, and my older brother, the one that was instrumental in introducing me to Christ, uh, I came to Christ eight years after he first shared the gospel with me, kind of a slow learner. But as I poured out my heart to him as we were driving to my parents' home, he just kind of laughed and he said, Spencer, last night I flew in from Pittsburgh. And as the plane came in over the city, the city was ablaze with lights. And my heart just leaped with joy as I thought of, oh, Lord, I know you, and you know me, and you know every one of these people in a way that I can't comprehend. And I was just praising him as I was driving home to my parents. Well, what was the difference? Same experience. Well, he was about 11 years older in his relationship with the Lord than I was. I was a baby Christian just trying to learn and understand these things, and he had grown in that relationship. How precious are the thoughts to me, O oh God. How, how vast is the sum of them. After we had our first child, our first daughter, I really struggled with could I love a second child after Barbara got pregnant? How do you possibly love the second child when you love the first one so much? And yet, again, the, the woman's experience, of course, is much different. But from the husband's, at least from mine, it's kind of like, well, the child's kind of not really there until, you know, you see him. But the moment that child was born, I had such an overwhelming love for that child. And then when the third came along, and then when the fourth came along, so I ran back to this verse and I thought, oh, Lord, I see. If I can love one, two, three, four, well, you, the one who created the universe, It's no wonder you can know us so intimately, in a way that I can't comprehend, but I can believe it, because I experience a tiny bit of it in my life. At one point in time, our son was in Afghanistan, we had a daughter in Chicago, a daughter in Los Angeles, and one in Washington, D.C. We're kind of spread all over the world. And yet, constantly, I'm thinking about all four of them. Again, I ran back to this verse of, Lord, if I think about my children so often during the day, and now grandchildren, How much do you think about me? Verse 18, If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm with thee. Um, You know, it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? When we ask ourselves, Lord, is this true? Is this really you speaking to me through your word? And Lord then transform my mind so that I can see the world, myself, my neighbor, you, the way you see it, not the way I think it should be seen. Uh, Vance Havner, an old itinerant uh, preacher, uh, when uh, Walter Cronkite was on the news, Walter would end every evening, for those of you too young, this was when television was invented, and he would end the newscast every evening by saying, and that's the way it is, July 11th, 2021. And Vance Havner would say, no, Walter, that's just the way it seems. As we look at the world, it's just the way it seems. It's not the way it really is. Now, these next verses, I won't take time here, but these next verses, 19 through 22. This is where he cries out, you would slay the wicked. Now, we're living in a culture right now in America that creates a lot of anger inside many of us when we're seeing the when we're seeing our nation just plundered in a hundred different ways through all sorts of philosophies and false ideas and false idols and so on. It is so destructive and aimed now in school systems at the very most vulnerable our younger children. And I just want to suggest that much of that anger you feel delights the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that righteous anger because we are angry at the sin that is destroying so many people. We're angry at the sin that's setting, setting out to destroy the next generation yet even to be born. And it will create anger in us. How we respond to that will be the challenge. But that's a whole you know, other sermon or, or message that would be great to deal with. But I want to encourage you that when you feel that anger, Lord, thank you that you are allowing me to feel angry for what I just read. Because I too hate sin. So Lord, first of all, look in my life, but I too hate sin, and that's why you have that experience. Now how you deal, how you then relate to the world around you and that person who is so opposed to you is a whole other kind of issue in the Christian life that's also very difficult of how we deal with our enemies and those who want to destroy us. But I just want to explain or suggest this morning that what the Lord is telling us in this section is that kind of anger is not only understandable, but frankly it's pleasing to him because he experiences the same thing in a way far deeper than we do. God was so angry at sin, so horribly offended by it, that the only way that he could deal with it was to sacrifice his only son and turn his face away from him. So if we think we hate sin, we, don't, we cannot understand how it grieves him, how it affects his holiness. So I just want to encourage you with that. Okay, so where do we come as, back to as we finish this? We come back to where to where it was ended this morning with the children. You see, if I know God really loves me, if I know when Jesus says, who do you say I am? Well, Lord, you're the one who loves me. You're the one who has saved me and loves me and knows everything about me. And if I understand that I'm created in his image and if I understand that I'm wonderfully made and I look in that mirror and I want you to do that when you go home today look in that mirror and say Lord I want to thank you for me I want to thank you for the way that you created me Lord let me live out your creation in a way that's pleasing to you but you see if I believe those two things then I can come here to verse 23 search me O God and know my heart now I'm saying Lord I know you know all of this but now I'm willing for you to open me up because I know you won't reject me. I know you won't tear me down. I know you won't push me away. I know you won't turn your face against me. So Lord, I want to open up my life to you. Years ago in the early 80s, I spent a good bit of time in the former Soviet Union and a lot of the republics and in Eastern European countries. And uh, I was with a pastor who had spent years in prison in Romania and he said to me, Spencer, um, another pastor in Moscow that I was with, came, we were walking together, came to the Lubyanka, which is the headquarters of the KGB, and he went over and kissed that side of the building. He had been in prison for 15 years. He said, oh, Lord, thank you, because this is where I met you. Now, he had been a Christian when he was imprisoned, but this is where I met you. The Romanian pastor said to me, a, a different pastor, now a different country, said, so Spencer, the trouble with you Westerners is you talk about a commitment to Christ. I made a commitment to Christ. He said, here we talk about surrender. The hymn, I Surrender All, this is surrender. Lord, I'm yours. You created me, my time, my talent, my treasure. You know the days that I have to live. I don't know that. And so, Lord, I want you to search me and know if there's anything in my life that's displeasing to you so that I might confess it. Lord, my attitude toward that person or what I did over here, Lord, thank you for showing me that that was sin in my life. Thank you that you died on the cross for that sin and have forgiven me. Now, take control of my life that I might experience the fruit of your spirit transforming me patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, love, self control. Are those more evident in your life than they were last year, two years ago, five years ago? They should be. It's the, spirit, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not the fruit of a maturing Christian. It starts off here. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. What are you anxious about this morning? Just as I've spoken to you about my anxiety from time to time about my children. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Are we willing to come to the place where we can say, Lord, I surrender to you. I want your will for my life. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, remember Jesus said, when you pray, don't pray with repetition like the heathen do, but when you pray, and then he introduced what we often call the Lord's Prayer. A prayer that's prayed with more meaningless repetition than any other prayer there is, isn't it? But remember that one little passage, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I pray that, I'm saying, Lord, I want your will to be done in my life as it is in heaven. I want you to lead me, to guide me, to empower me. And as we close up this morning, um, I want to encourage you to understand how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit the moment you come to faith in Christ. You'll never get more of him, but he wants more of you. He wants you to yield your rights to him, yield your anger to him, yield all of the frustrations you have, the impatient sins you have, all of these things so that he can be transforming you as time goes on. And so my suggestion is when you sin or you know you've had a thought that you shouldn't have, then Lord, thank you. I've just sinned against you and have sinned against perhaps that person thank you that you died on the cross for that sin and you've forgiven me. Now take control of my life and then cause me to either pray for that person or to turn away whatever it was I was looking at or thinking about that I shouldn't have. And it's a moment by moment by moment walk in his power is the key to the Christian life. Not trying to be more committed, not trying to be a better person, not trying to work harder, you will fail. And as many have said, I tried Christianity and it didn't work for me because they didn't understand that we cannot live it, only he can, through his power.